0: Live from Coolidge, Arizona on January the 24th, 2013. If you have questions about where we have been in Chapter 1, when we finish Chapter 1, we will take time to address those questions. Uh, If they're relevant to where we have been, not to where we are going. To do so, go to the website, or simply send an email to coolidgecc.org. Coolidgecc.org. Oh, coolidgecc at coolidgecc.org. Coolidgecc at CoolidgeCC.org. Any questions uh, sent in that email to that email address, uh, if it's relevant to where we have been, uh, we will uh, deal with it between chapters 1 and 2. Tonight we are looking at verses uh, 9, 10, and 11. I want to emphasize in beginning that because of who God is, that God can pull this off, that this book is going to be a book of incidents and of events that all take place within the boundaries of verses 1 and 3. God can pull it off because I am Alpha and Omega. And you'll notice that the beginning and the ending is not in the original text. I don't know why they have added it. I am Alpha and Omega, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That's stated. It is stated in, I think it was in verse 4, so that we understand that God is the God who is there, and he can pull this off. He knows the beginning from the end. Now today we go on with verse 9. Verse 9 reads, I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation, And in the kingdom and presence of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. In the King James, it's Jesus Christ. That's not in the original, but we'll add it. I was reading from the King James. Now, let's notice first how John identifies himself in this verse. Two things specifically. He identifies himself as how? Any of the students here in the classroom? Brothers. Brother. All right. Um I, I I'm also your and your is plural. Your brothers. Uh, I, I'm I am your brother. That's affectionate. That's an identity. That's how he is identifying himself. That The brother of those to whom he is writing. Then there is a second thing that he identifies himself as. And that is a co-sharer. That's what the word companion means. Co-sharer. A co-sharer in three things in that verse. A co-sharer in what's first? Affliction. Affliction or tribulation. And we're going to talk about that later this evening as, um, as we progress. We're going to come back and address that more completely. But the, um, a co-sharer in their tribulation. And he is also, a co-sharer with them, not just in their affliction and tribulation, but in their kingdom. 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 Again, another evidence, as we had earlier in the book, in the chapter, that the kingdom was in place when he was writing this. And that the people to whom he were writing considered themselves as a part of the kingdom. It had been established. It was in place. Had not been been fully recognized. And that would not take place until the fall of Jerusalem. And that's what this book is telling us about. And then the third thing that he is a co-sharer in was what?
1: patience of jesus
0: all right so he he has really made a nice case for his own identity he is not an outsider he's not aloof from what's going on in their life physically or spiritually But he is a co-sharer. He is sharing right along with them in their affliction.
1: He understands the issue. And a co-sharer in the kingdom. A kingdom of priests.
0: That's whom he's addressing. And the loyalty and uh, the tenacity of staying put in Jesus.
1: Any questions on that? And then he says he is in a particular location. Why do you suspect that he deals with that?
0: Wants them to know where he is when he's writing this. Yeah. yeah. That he's in exile. That he is in exile. Kind of rounds out his uh, personal circumstance at the moment. And that's what that's what gives him the right to say, I am a co-sharer in your whom what? Tribulation. In your tribulation. Because where was he? And why was he there? It was a penal colony. Yeah. It says two reasons why, or three reasons, or two reasons why. And I think you, you've you mentioned it. One was on account of what? The, the, the word of God. All right, on account of the word and on account of? The testimony of Jesus Christ. That was not a popular theme if you deal with it uh, in such a way that it has an effect on them. So that's why he can say, I am a co-sharer. I'm not just mouthing here a
1: bunch of words.
0: But I am a co sharer in your affliction. Did you need more are you are you doing okay um, i'm um I'm with you in your tribulation and in your affl- affliction and it's because we're a part of the kingdom when we have a message to say. but we are being held loyal and faithful in Jesus. What a picture. It covers the whole spectrum. The problem, why they have the problem, but what it is that keeps them on track. You need all three.
1: Any questions in verse 9? We move
0: on to verse 10. I was in spirit. There's no article. Shouldn't be. Uh, We need to confirm that. Um, I'm speaking about in the original language. There is no article there. I was in spirit. now if i'm if I'm in something, where am I <laughs> if I said I was out, where would I be not in, not in. <laughs> isn't that it's so simple I was in spirit now, I'm going to suggest to you that. This is speaking about I was in the spirit that I have, my spirit. And I was in spirit on the Lord's day. And I have we're going to deal with that in page 2. Tonight we'll come back to that and we're going to do that more extensively. And um, so where where was his consciousness fully Present. Where was his consciousness here? In verse ten.
1: Where? In in
0: spirit. In
1: spirit. That's where
0: his consciousness was totally, completely in spirit. And so when he is in spirit, where can God meet him? Yeah. In where he is he was in spirit, and so where is it that God can find, O John? well, where he is, and where is he? He says, "I'm in spirit And while he was in the place of his consciousness the spirit totally absorbed in consciousness now there's a rare huh, there's a rare thing how many folks do you have in the assembly that are fully conscious <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're really tuned in fully in spirit Well, you know, you wouldn't expect the kids to be in uh, to, to have a protracted period of time, would you? You know, the attention span is what a couple hours with a little kid. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> think, think about the Jews in the temple. They can listen and remember what they had read to them, and for hours. And walk out and remember what it was that had been read. Have we lost something in this generation? If I have something read to me, I can't remember it as they're reading it. But to be so intellectually in tune, mentally in tune, that something can be read and you not only grasp it, but you can grasp it for hour after hour. There are people who can do that today. I'm not one of them. I can barely get over the threshold of the door mentally when somebody's doing that. So we are in a different culture today where we've lost the ability of attention for any period of time and to come into our full sense of consciousness because, folks, that's the only place where God can touch us. There isn't any other place.
1: I want you to think about that. Spirit spirit.
0: Spirit, God's spirit, because God is spirit. That's his content, what he is, and it can only touch us when we are in our full state of consciousness, and that takes place in our spirit. said to the woman at the well, about there will come a time when in John, 4. Mm-hmm. John four men will worship in truth <clears throat> and spirit. That's right. That's pretty clear. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now there are other views on this. I'm just giving you my view. I'm not. I don't want to take time discussing all of the op- opposition. Uh, <clears throat> so, I th- I, but I think that's something that needs to be pondered. Because not only do we want to study Revelation from the standpoint of getting it down as its historical significance, but we want to, what does it do to us? And we learn these lessons. So, and what, on what day? On verse 10, in verse 10? All right, and we're, we're going to discuss that in a moment. And then he heard behind him a great voice.
1: And the voice was like a what? A trumpet. Like a trumpet. <clears throat>
0: let's um, let's read a couple of. Uh, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get to those verses after a while. Well, no need to do be redundant here. So <clears throat> he's got he heard behind him a great voice. You see the senses, folks. The senses belong to the spirit. you get that okay. The senses that you and I use belong to the spirit for of humans. Can God see? says God can see does he have eyes? Well, not like ours. Does he hear? God, yeah, a spirit can hear without ears. It can see without eyes. It can feel without fingers. You know, Matthew says that the finger of God did this and this, and Luke says the spirit of God did this and this, and their identical context. Well, God really doesn't have a finger, but it's the tool that he uses to get done what he wants. So, the senses of all of our senses belong to our spirit, and when we die, all of our senses go with us.
1: We can still feel
0: joy, pain. We can see the Lord. We can hear the praise. We can smell the incense of the golden candles. We are totally aware and conscious of our presence in heaven because all of our senses go with us. We don't lose them. And that's what differs. It's different between man and animal. And that ought to make the difference in how you live your life.
1: So he hears behind him a great voice.
0: He is hearing it out of his spirit, a great voice. That word "great" is mega. When we think of mega, what do uh, well? We you can check me out on that. Uh, yeah, mega right there. Megathane. What do we mean by mega?
1: Yeah, and
0: so it's, it's a descriptive to size of the voice, a booming voice, and he says it's as a trumpet,
1: distinct, clear, a great,
0: a great, a great big voice as of a trumpet you can hear it he did not have to strain his hearing out of his spirit to hear this voice that was coming to his spirit
1: now what this voice was saying in verse 11
0: what did the voice say Verse 11. I am Alpha and Omega. First and last. and the, remember now that the first and the last are not there. I am Alpha and the Omega. Now, there's a reason why I'm pointing this out. You don't need to say first and last. No, it's redundant. It's redundant. That's why he says Alpha and Omega. <laughs> But there's a reason why it is added, and we'll get to it when we find the reason. I'm going to hold back a bit. I'm going to keep you in suspense. There's a reason why they add it uh, in, um, in verse 8 and now verse 11. They've added that little phrase. It's not in the original. You can put it to the test. It's not there. It's alpha and omega. there. But Alpha and Omega is there. But there's a reason why Alpha and Omega are there and first and last uh, uh, beginning and the end are not there. And they put them in there because there's something that's coming up down the line. I don't see in verse 11. It's not there in verse 11. Though, I don't it? see it in verse 11. Uh-uh. Well, mine says in King James, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. In the Greek? In the Greek? No, no, in the English. Oh oh it's not in the Greek no, no that's the, po- the that thank you but that's the point it is not in the Greek I am Alpha and Omega first and last not in the Greek no the first and the last are not in the Greek either, alpha and omega, oh in and in the okay and, and the uh, Alpha and the Omega is not in the Greek here either in this verse that's right yeah. so none of that in the what's that but, in, it, is in verse six. but it is up here but they've dropped it and so I was just going by the Greek text. The Alpha and the Omega is in this Greek text, but the beginning and the ending is not. Yeah, that's verse, eight. In verse 11, the whole thing is not there. Yeah. Okay, let's go to verse 11. Good good call, good catch. All right. I see, that there, you're right. The whole thing has been added. So what did the voice then say? It's right. Yeah. That's all he says. What you see, put it into print. Write. I'm going to show you a vision. You take the vision and you use your pen and you write it out. Now that's a task. I don't know where he learned his penmanship. But he was able to take what he saw in his spirit, and make his hands, write, and put it in a book. And uh, and so what thou seest, write in a book. Right
1: book.
0: Yeah, Biblia, B-I-B-L-E. And it's a word we get our word Bible from, but it simply means book. Into book. Put, put what you see into book. And now where is it to be sent? All right. And uh, we can see, though, is Ephesus, Verna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Unto Laodicea. Each church is named that was to receive a copy of this book. Now, whether there was one book sent and it was passed around, we don't know that. Or whether he made copies of it and sent it to each church individually, don't know that. But each church is named that was to receive a copy. Whether once at a time, or, you know, one at a time, or whatever, I don't know. And it was sent to the churches who are in Asia, the seven that are in Asia, because what happened to Colossae, what happened to Colossae, it should okay, be there. It got Quake. shook to death. All right, <laughs> it got shook up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's gone.
1: there to receive
0: mail it was that's right it was gone and they in turn had joined the church when the earthquake hit them and destroyed their city Uh, then those church uh, that those folks according to history joined up with laodicea
1: and it was sent to asia while john was still in patmos If John
0: wrote later than what we have been teaching, prior to 70 A.D., 66, 67, then he wrote history, not prophecy. Because it is clear in Revelation, and we'll get to these points as we go along, that he is writing about the movement of uh, Vespasian, the gathering of two myriads of men on the Euphrates River, the scattering of the Jews into all the nations, the destruction of the temple, I'm at the top of the page one, uh, when the Lord would gather the nations against Israel, the kingdom fully developed in reign of Domitian, You see, if he was writing at a later date, he was not writing prophecy. He was writing history. And he's no longer a prophet. He's a historian. And And so why did he have to have a vision to record history? Why was it soon to come if it was already history? That's right. So you see how it all kind of adds up every week we get a new additional argument now let's go to page two we have to move right along we ask the question and uh, that's the context now we look at a couple of points and verse 10 says i was in the spirit on the lord's day is the lord is the day of the lord significant literally it says did i hear a comment uh, in Literally, it is in spirit, in the imperial day. That's the literal translation. That's Dave's translation. So, God meets John where John is. And that's where? In spirit. In spirit. And I'm going to suggest in Revelation 1.10 that it cannot refer to the first day of the week, but to the period Elsewhere called the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord had a fixed and a definite meaning in the early apostolic churches. And let's take time to read these verses. I want to clarify that, that when the first day of the week is never used, it is never called the Day of the Lord anywhere in the New Testament. But how many of you, be honest, have used Revelation 1.10 to talk about Sunday. Yeah. To talk about the Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. We talk about the Lord's Day. We call Sunday the Lord's Day. Because yeah. we call... And yet there is no place in the New Testament where the Sunday or the meeting together is called the Lord's Day. Let me show you where what it does say. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 1.8. We have to just kind of sail here. Lots of English literature... Uses that phrase as out of a, out of just respect, I suppose. I always wondered exactly why they would March nineteenth, seventeen eleven, the day of our Lord or whatever. You know that was, that was always a sign of respect, I think, of reverency. Well, and there may be different usages, and that's legitimate. Just you know, we we know what the Bible word for bless means, I think but accept your position. It, I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. So now notice here, who, sh- who shall also, I mean, what we're looking at here, are where the day of the Lord is found, who shall also confirm you unto the end. The end of what? We all know by now that Corinthians is addressing the people there prior to the fall of Jerusalem and the end of the Mosaic law. Who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in what? The, the, day. the day when the Lord stands on Mount Olivet in judgment of the Jews. They all understood that. But you see, that's not, the day of our Lord is not Sunday. Let's go to Second Corinthians one fourteen. I'm just following the list there, Alex. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. <clears throat> as also you have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are, are ours, when? In the day of the Lord Jesus. That's the standpoint of John.
1: Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse
0: 2. I'm not sure I got all of them. But I think I did. But I I intended to. But I may not have. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit or neither in spirit nor... I I, I don't want to correct all that stuff. that you be not soon shaken, nor by word, um, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now we get it tuned down, just I mean fine-tuned just a bit here, as that the day of Christ is at hand. It's just a little ways off. Now when it comes to the book of Revelation, a few years later, then it is at hand, isn't it? We've read that in verses 1 and 3. Alright, so it's not referring to Sunday, it's referring to something that represents when the Lord is fully exonerated. Second Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements, that's the law, shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works of therein shall be all burned up. And we, you know, in that chapter we spent several weeks going through itemizing how the flood was not the end of the earth, was not the end of the world, but it says it was. And, this, and it's right above here, just a few verses up. And uh, here uh, he's giving us the same story, using the same symbols to represent the end of the world as it was then under Ju- uh, under Judaism okay and look at look at see verse 6 uh, he slipped uh, slipped up here whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water did what parrot Perish. did it no 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 because he is he has defined what he's talking about in the first 6 verses of this chapter he hasn't changed The reason he goes in and defines his terms, which we've already dealt with in Peter, we're not going to go back there, is so that we will understand what he is saying when he's discussing the fall of Jerusalem and the end of the Mosaic economy. All right. So in conclusion to that part, part one here on page two, I was in spirit on the Lord's day, On on the day of the Lord, it's going to introduce to him the parousia. You know, that's back there. We've already discussed the coming. And uh, that's the standpoint. He is standing there at the vision of the parousia, the presence of Christ in his return. As Jesus said, would happen in the lifetime of those people who were there to whom he was speaking. And we've gone through and read all of the New Testament passages on that subject. So it's the standpoint of John, a fact which is borne out by the contents of the book. Number two, and we are going, I may have to uh, be a little bit... Uh, uh, quick here, I think we'll. The third question has to do with the period of tribulation. Now, in Daniel 9:24 through 27, uh, a couple of years ago, we spent several weeks going through and defining every phrase in this, and of course, that was all in preparation for where we are tonight. <laughs> yeah, we all that. And you all remember that. Yeah. But let me just read a little bit of it here, 70 weeks, and by the way I think the outline is still out there on those white charts, Uh, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, upon the holy city, to finish the transgression, and to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision, and prophecy, and prophetic. And to anoint the most holy. Seventy weeks. Now, don't go, skip down to verse twenty-six only because I haven't got time to go through the details here. And after three score and two weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince shall come and destroy. That's the people of the of uh, Satan. The people of the prince shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Halfway down through 27, for the overspreading of abominations, ye shall make it desolate. It's going to be the end of the sacrificial system. will all end at, the end at the end of the 70 weeks. All going to come to an end. That's what Daniel was shown is the same thing that's taking place in Revelation. And when he talks about tribulation and the affliction, he's talking about the same period as what Daniel was prophesying about. In my comment here, 70 prophetic weeks were decreed by Daniel's people and for the holy city. This means that after the 70 weeks, both would be destroyed. After the 70 weeks, they would finish the transgression, and the temple would not be standing. That's the summary of the high points of that context that relate to the tribulation that we're talking about in uh, Revelation 1.10. Now in verse 2, number 2 on page 2, was this the same scene that uh, is reported by Zechariah? I believe that it is with that of uh, Daniel, But let's go to the book of uh, Zechariah, chapter 14. Let me read this quickly for you. Behold, a day is coming. Now remember, Zechariah um, was dealing with, he was in the Babylonian captivity, and is writing about what's going to happen to Jerusalem after it is restored under Ezra and Nehemiah. You got that? Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, for I will gather all the nations against Israel to battle. That's what we're talking about in Revelation. And the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. (coughs) But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then, because of the promises in Matthew 24, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives. olives. Keep that in mind. Which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east. It's still there today. I've been there. I've stood there. Some of those olive trees are over 2,000 years old. They were there when Jesus was there. I asked them. They didn't remember. Some of those olive trees have a stump that's half as big around as this room. Phenomenal. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach, will reach to Azel. You, yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, uh, uh, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. He is talking here about the same thing that Daniel is talking about, same event, that six years preceding the destruction was to be the greatest tribulation known to man, and Jesus confirms it. Look at Matthew 24 and verse 21. Then shall be great tribulation such as what not was not since the beginning of the world. To this time, no, nor ever shall be. Go to Mark. You don't have it down there, but go to Mark 13. I think it's verse 19. <clears throat> In those days shall be affliction. Aren't we reading about the affliction that John was this co-sharer with the churches of? In those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. Now move down a few more verses, a little uh, 24 And they shall, verse 26, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. We've looked at that from every angle. Down a little bit further. And then, so ye in like manner, when you see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh. He is telling them to look for the evidence who are living then. Then he says in verse 30, he puts a cap on it, Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass until all these things be done. Does that cap it? I think it does. Uh, A Roman historian, uh, down at the bottom of page 2, confirms that during the six years before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the whole world was at war, every nation come under severe afflictions, and the uh, the sword of Rome. We conclude on page 3. Was the event related by the angel to Daniel? And let's go to Daniel 12. It looks like I think we'll take time to look at that first real quick, and then we'll be about done uh, for tonight. In Daniel chapter 12, now at that time, Michael. The great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress. Notice this. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah. And didn't Jesus say it was all going to take place in the lifetime of those who were hearing him say that? Yeah. And there, what? two of those never have occurred. No. Oh, good point. Good point, Neil. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that. Since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, not everybody, he's limiting it to the people to whom he's writing. Everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Okay, so we have we have an event related by the angel to Daniel. It's the same event that we read in Daniel 9, the 70 weeks, 24 through 27, it's the same event as Zechariah 14:1 through 5. And then it's the same event again in summary of Daniel 12:1. Now notice verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> the angel qualifies the time of this affliction and tribulation. Notice with me. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the water of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people all these things will be completed. Now, people who take the times and times and a times and project it in the future are missing the whole point. And we're going to take... We're, we have a lesson coming on that. We're not going to deal with that tonight. But remember that he is saying that's going to be finished by the end and the, you know the, the, the destruction of the temple and of the holy people... Once and for all. So I believe it becomes evident that Daniel, Ezekiel, and Isaiah are all speaking of the war and tribulation that John and his fellow citizens endured those six years before 70 A.D. Hopefully you have your thinking cap on and will keep it on for a while and ponder these things until we meet again.